Welcome to the Manmukti Podcast, Stories of Stigma, where we speak up about the South Asian mental health with professionals and those with lived experiences of mental illness. Today we're speaking with Pooja, who'll tell us about her experiences with mental health. Hi Pooja, thanks so much for being with us today on our Manmukti Podcast. Um, very excited to get to talk to you about some of the work you've done providing therapy uh, to South Asian clients in the U.S. as well as in India. Um, but to get started, why don't you just uh, give us kind of a quick intro as to who you are, where you're located, and um, what exactly it is that you do currently. Hi, Avi. It's, I'm happy to be here. And Uja, I'm currently in California. I'm currently Master's in Marriage and Family Therapy. And I'm a therapist at the City of Fremont Youth and Family Services, where I provide individual and family therapy to children and adolescents. And I provide, yeah. Okay, great. Thanks for the intro. And how, how long have you been kind of working in that area, in the Fremont area, providing therapy? Um, in June, in actually in June, it might it'll be a year. And um, yeah, it'll be okay. A year. Okay, great. Coming up on a year then. Um, and so I think it would be really interesting for our listeners to kind of get an idea of how you exactly became passionate about mental health in the first place. Do you have any personal experiences that you'd be comfortable sharing? So, um. I became passionate about mental health and health was because of mom. So my mom, she was depressed and she actually committed suicide when I was 12 years old. And I come from a broken family myself. My parents split up when I was in the second grade. So providing therapy with family, go out and make sense in their life has just always been very personal for me because of it. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Thank you for, thank you for sharing that. I know it's, it's tough. Um, how did you kind of first make the uh, move to uh, providing therapy and stuff? What did you study in school, and how did it relate to mental health? Um, in school, I took um, I took psychology as my higher level subject, and when I graduated from school, I did my BA in psychology, and then I ended up pursuing my master's in counseling and psychology in India. And then when I moved to the United States, I did another. I'm currently doing another master's in marriage and family therapy, and I graduate. And then once I graduate, I'm planning to do my doctoral program. So I'm planning to do my PsyD clinical counseling. Okay, great. Um, we've talked to some other people who are uh, getting their PsyDs, and it seems like uh, you really get to kind of focus on uh, clinical work and stuff. So it seems like kind of, kind of like right up your alley in terms of therapy work that you're already doing. Yeah. Very cool. Um, so. I think we'd like to get into some of the more um, content of what you've been doing in terms of being a mental health provider and all the good work you've done, which is I have to applaud you for taking the negative experiences you've had in your own life and turning it into something positive, a desire to help others. Um, that's really great, and that's one of the things that I think Manmukti um, really strives for is that seeing more people like you out there um, pushing discussion forward about South Asian mental health. And so along those lines, um, it would be really interesting to get your take on what your experience has been so far providing therapy to South Asian families in the U.S. And so along those lines, we want to know, like, kind of what kind of clients do you get and how is your experience different from therapy you might have provided to um, non-South Asians in the U.S.? Um, so right, currently, like, my caseload actually involves, like, a lot of South Asians, but it also involves a lot of Latino populations. So they both come from collectivistic cultures. So it's a little similar in some manners because the Asian culture and the Latino culture, both being collectivistic, there's a lot of similarities. But with South Asian culture, something that you experience a lot is the stigma associated with mental health, 
many of the time, um, my kids might want therapy and they would want the whole idea of therapy, but it's their parents who may not want it and they don't understand it rather. So in school, in the school I work at, you have this policy where you can, you'll have to see the client twice before you get consent from the parent. So many of the times I would have had kids going through a crisis and they would only need twice. And if I had to meet them the third time, they themselves would be like, no, my parents are not going to allow me and they don't believe in this. And some of the times I've actually had to, because some of the kids actually really need therapy services. So I've actually had to like call the parents and kind of psychoeducate them on why their kid needs it and not even addressing it in a way that, oh, this is what's wrong with your kid, but kind of in the manner of in order for your kid to be successful, I think you know they would really benefit from the additional support and we want them to do well in school, not even addressing it from an emotional standpoint of, okay, there are like severe issues that need to be taken care of, but like kind of linking it to the success of or the future of their child. Okay, interesting. So you can't really appeal to them from a mental health perspective from the get-go. You have to appeal to them from a, their grades are going to slip if you don't do this. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and if you could give us a little bit of background as to what kind of kids you're working with, like age group, and I guess what kind of things you tend to talk about in your therapy sessions. Like, how do you help these kids accept the fact so, that they have, like, mental health issues? So the kids I see here range from age to, like, and... Many of them, like, have, like, anxiety issues, eating disorders. Some of them are, like, they're autistic, um, adjustment issues. But those, those, that's what I've seen so far. Like, that's, that's, that's what I've seen so far with, like, my clientele. And many, oh, and lots of family issues. Some of them come from, like, broken families, and, like, custody battles. So helping them deal with that process also. Got it. And when you deal, I guess, with South Asian clients, as well as you said, a lot of Latino clients, um, do you see a similarity in the way that their parents treat the sessions? Is um, is the stigma kind of similar, as you said, because of the collectivist cultures, or do you see a difference? No, it is it is it is actually very similar because with with collectivistic culture, something that you always see is they don't want other people to know about the problem, or you don't want to seek outsiders for help. You want to like contain the problem within your system, and many of the times people are just surviving they don't even like they're just trying to like hide away the problem and not until something gets really bad then they would probably report help but many of the times people really don't want other people knowing like they, they care too much about like what society might think or what others might know what others might think if they know that they're getting help because even with my kids at school um some of my kids some of my kids like the non um asian they're actually very um they're okay that they 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 don't they don't really care if like other people know that they're coming to therapy or if they're being if like their friends know that they're coming for therapy. But with my Asian clients, what I've noticed is they they care a lot and they actually like so I so I pull them out of class and then they come and see me and before they have to there's like a eye hole on the door so they actually like peep into the eye hole and then like they have like the strategy when they leave so they make sure that like no one's like around that they oh, know, wow. like no one's there that you know that they're coming to see me well, I also think it comes with being a teenager but I feel I can see I can I see it a lot more with Asian clients interesting so it seems like the stigma and like or the desire to not let other people know that you're going through something is kind of pervades into uh, the younger generation as well even though they're not necessarily as worried about 
family standing or societal standing, things like yeah. that. It's like the, I guess, high school hierarchy that they're kind of worried about. Yeah, the social circles. Interesting. Um, you mentioned that you, you kind of see a range of different issues that you deal with with your clients in in schools. Uh, have you found that parents react differently to different types of mental health issues? Like, do they are they more willing to talk about an eating disorder versus anxiety issues or vice versa? Have you seen any discrepancies like that? Many of the times parents don't. Parents find it very hard to, like, accept or understand that, you know, that, okay, this might be the diagnosis for your, for your, for your child. And many of the families I work with are low-income families, so they're medical clients. So... You can you you need to be able to like diagnose a client if you're if you're seeing them through their insurance and many of the times it's kind of difficult having that conversation with the parents saying I'm not labeling your child but you know these are the symptoms that your child are sh- that your child is showing and this is what they present with but with like for instance I'm seeing I have I I mean I have I'm seeing a client who has an eating disorder and the parents like very logically understand okay, why, why um, you know, his kid might have the eating disorder, but he doesn't, understand, he doesn't understand the emotional part of it. They don't seem to understand the emotional part of it because also it leads back to, like, multi-generational, like how they were raised or how in their generation you wouldn't really talk about your emotions or you wouldn't really deal with emotions in this sort of manner. And, many, and what many families also face is, the the acculturation issue where they might be pretty orthodox or they might have their own ways, but their kid is actually bicultural. Not only are they American, but then they're also Indian or, you know, Asian. So that's something like you have to like work on a lot with like clients and their families constantly, like trying to like find like a way to make parents understand that, you know, these are the developmental issues that like their child is facing and, you need to kind of take into consideration the society we live in and the ch- like changes and the challenges they might face. Many of the times parents don't know if you, you need to provide a lot of education. Right. Okay. Uh, I, one thing I've heard in doing these interviews with a lot of other people like yourself who know a good deal about mental health is that when it comes to South Asian uh, and like our parents' generation, they tend to focus on the kind of psychosomatic symptoms that come with yeah, mental illness. Yeah. Instead of like you were saying, they don't really understand the emotional side, but they understand, like, you know, my kid has an eating disorder. Um, he's not healthy. He doesn't look healthy. Um, you need, we need to fix this, but it's not a question of, like, what's the root emotional cause. Yeah, or they don't understand. Like, I know they're protecting. Many of the times also, like, they're too protective and they're too enmeshed with their children, and they don't understand that, yeah, they're doing everything they can to support their kid, but at the same time, that overprotection or that, over controlling that they have actually leads them, you know, feeling the way they do or like wanting to do the things that they do, they do which is actually quite sad because many of them don't have their own space, they don't have their own privacy. Their parents are constantly monitoring them and constantly on their back. Right, um, I can identify with that for sure. <laughs> um, so I kind of want to switch gears here a little bit and um, ask not about uh, your therapy experience in the U.S. anymore, but. Um, if you could kind of compare that to uh, the therapy that you've provided or the work you've done uh, with families in India, um, what was the experience there in terms of uh, the cases you dealt with as well as the stigma you dealt with, et cetera? Um, so in India, I primarily worked 
in a rehab. So I worked, I, most of my clients were drug addicts and alcoholics. And the population also ranged from like 16 to like 50. So the stigma is still very much prevalent and it's still present. But I think in the U.S., it's, I think in the U.S., it's just a little more easier because, you know, parents are like living here and they're more accustomed to like how the culture works here. So, and they themselves are in touch with like school counselors because like, if your grades drop in school, the counselor makes sure that like, you know, there's constant like communication between the parent and the school counseling department but in India I think counseling is still developing and it's come a long way but it's not as developed as it's here our families are not as educated about it as they are here and so in India I think I had to like provide a lot more like education about it and in India like here at least parents are like receptive like coming into therapy like you can pull them in but in the rehab I worked with I worked at many of the times families thought that at the end of the day, it's a very systemic perspective. Like change in one system, change in one part of the system can affect change in the entire system and can bring about change in the entire system. But in India, they would constantly be like, no, I'm not the problem. Fix my kid. He's the problem. And they wouldn't understand the systemic perspective thing. And many of the times when, when parents, I mean, when families come to you, they can't, you have, there's something known as an identified patient in psychology where Families come to you thinking that, okay, this is what's wrong with my kid, but it's actually not the kid. The kid is just playing the role in the family as a symptom bearer, but it's actually the family that needs to be dealt with. And with um, clients who've gone on, like, who have substance use, there's a lot of comorbidity that's prevalent. So there's, there's a lot of familial factors that actually um, keep the disorder going. So families don't understand that, and it's very difficult trying to get them to realize that. No, yeah, your your kid might have substance issues, but you're actually perpetrating, you know, the use. Interesting. You, uh, you said something there that I am unfamiliar with, and so I'd kind of like to learn more about it. You mentioned that the kids can be what we said, some symptom bearers, um, as yeah, kind of as a result of bigger problems going on within the family. How does that really work, and is, is that like a common mental health, um, I guess, outcome yeah, that you see? You see it all the time. So, like. For instance, um, right now I'm working with a family brought who brought their daughter in and said, you know, my daughter has eating issues, my daughter has anguish, this is what my daughter is presenting with. But I've had probably like three sessions with the daughter and parents always bring, parents always complain about their child. The parents always say, no, my child has the problem. And many of the times they don't realize that the child is just one part of it. Like, yes, the child might present with those symptoms, but Actually, like the parents have conflict, and slowly I start to realize while working with clients of mine that there are a lot of family issues and family conflicts present that the parents are aware of, but they don't think that's why their kid is acting out. So they always um, think that it's not me, it's them, you know, it's my kid. Got it. And how do you address those kind of situations when it's clear that the family kind of has a, a greater problem and the kid is kind of bearing the brunt of that? Do you have a couple sessions with the kid and then try to bring in the family and say, you know, <laughs> like how do you message the fact that, you know, they might be the problem? How do you handle that situation? So many of the times, like, yeah, you have you have sessions with you have individual sessions with the child and you and your like you and the child have conversations about what the family session might look like and what really is the problem. And many of the time when you have these conversations with the child, the child like the child like the child 
kind of sense, you kind of see like a sense of relief in the child because when you have these kind of conversations, the child is like exactly like that. That is how I feel, and like you know, mom and dad have issues and they need to get it together, but they keep putting it on me. And I've seen that like I've been like I've been doing this for two years now, and like it's something you see like very often. And with so then you also have like intro sessions with the parent without the child, kind of to like provide a lot of education and trying to like educating them about how change in one part of the system can affect change overall and we need to work collaboratively and collectivistically like in a holistic approach to like bring about change so kind of like going through like that aspect saying you know we need to work together if we want to if we want to like rectify this or if we want change to occur and most of the time just like and that's and then you then you have family therapy sessions to facilitate this process to help each member think about what is their communication style how is it like how is how are they lacking that communication style right now also um ex- helping each family member ex- like share their perception of what they think the problem is and letting other members hear about that many of the times when you do family therapy sessions you i mean family members always bickering at each other so like stopping that and allowing each person to like feel respected and given a chance to be spoken of so really facilitating that process and also, it's very important the language you're using I statements, owning up to like your feelings and not going into the negative feedback loop of like the blame game, you know. Interesting. It's I think it's kind of fascinating to hear from you the mechanics of how these family therapy sessions work and how you kind of get people to realize you know when they might be causing a problem on their on their children or what they need to fix um, at the root cause. That that's something I never really thought about, and it, it's I think it's really important for people to understand that. You know, mental health causes can come from different angles, and uh, it's not necessarily uh, one person's symptoms that are uh, contained within themselves. It can be kind of a, a greater family situation that needs to be dealt with. And so, um, um, thank you for telling us kind of about what you do and uh, all the good that you're able to do with families and children. I think that's amazing. I'd like to talk a bit more about stigma because it's something that we've touched on a lot here. And um, it's clearly important in the culture that we're talking about here, the South Asian culture. And so you've been working with families, you've been dealing with stigma a lot. And so you must have um, some thoughts that you could share with us on what do you think are the steps that the community as a whole needs to take to reduce stigma? Um, And how do you, as a South Asian mental health provider, help that cause? (laughs) Like families, I mean, I think just as a community, I think a message that needs to go out is that it's okay to get help and you don't, you necessarily don't need to be severely mentally ill to get help. And we need, we need to stop living our lives thinking about what other people will think or how other people, what other people might say and start living our lives for ourselves. And I think that's like a first because people care too much about what other people might think or what other people might say. And I just don't think that's, the right way to go or to like approach it and also like accepting like accepting what you are and like accepting what you might have and kind of working with it you know many of the times it's really sad like I've heard stories I mean I've seen this in my professional work where parents have found out that you know like while mothers have been pregnant that their child might have Down syndrome and they've actually aborted the child and yeah and it's it's really sad because you know like 
then they have like I mean then you have like like you, you already born with children and like these kids are excited that you know I'm gonna have a sibling and like I'm gonna be like a big brother or a big sister to them or and some of these kids you know, have been born with you know certain like issues and then they kind of feel that like okay the parents the parents like wanted to go through that decision because um there was something wrong with them and the parents didn't want to deal with something like that but I think like just approaching help and like you said earlier like not viewing massaging from other kind of perspectives yes the mind and body is connected but like not just approaching like the medical doctor but I, I, I wish everyone would go to therapy and I wish everyone would help because there's a lot like you can learn about yourself and there's a lot like where one can grow but uh, yeah I just I think kind of like families approaching for help and not being afraid. Do you think it helps these families or individuals when they're kind of struggling with the notion of seeking help? Is it um, beneficial for them to see someone who looks like them, someone like you, that is going to be providing the therapy? Um, so do you, do you think that lessens the, the kind of community stigma or the fear, or do you think it maybe heightens it because they're looking at someone who looks like them and wondering, okay, what are what, what are these people going to think of me? What is the experience you that you've had? I mean, I've actually, I've actually had clients tell me, like, you know, oh, we're really glad that you're Indian or we're very glad that you're Asian because I've actually not had that experience with me so far. But I remember my supervisor, like, sharing a story with me of how an Asian, um, there was an Asian family who didn't want to seek an Asian therapist and actually wanted a Caucasian therapist because of worrying about, you know, like we come from the same culture, like what will, like how will they judge me? What will they think of me? So it could even, it could go both ways. It could be, it could be families are either very um, comfortable with having someone from their own culture because, you know, they understand that. And culture is a huge part of our lives. But then there's also the aspect of, no, I don't want to see someone from my own culture, and I'd rather see someone else. So it could go both ways. Okay, interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's I guess it's a tough decision for uh, people to make in terms of you know what kind of provider do I really need. Um, but again, thank you so much for um, just taking the time to speak with us today. I think we learned a lot about uh, just the mechanics of how family therapy works, as well as just the the I guess the pervasiveness pervasiveness really of how um, stigma can affect our community. It seems like it's even uh, affecting, you know, middle and high schoolers uh, in how they seek therapy from you uh, as a counselor. So that's, um, it's really interesting to know. And it's really something that it feels like you know, we should, we should strive to make a difference. And like you said, with uh, being more okay with seeking help. Um, so again, thank you for your time. Um, thank you. Thank you for doing this. And I, I hope, I think, by you create, doing initiatives like this and I think by you spreading awareness I think that's the way to go so I think you're doing something really amazing and I hope lots of people do here or like lots of people can you know sometimes people are really afraid to like seek help so sometimes platforms like this can be really good because like just having to like listen to something or like hearing about something that you don't know so I think what you're doing is amazing I hope you educate a lot more people out there it's our hope as well hopefully um one person at a time, we start to make a change. Thanks to our guest, Pooja, our team at Manmukti, and you, our listeners. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe, and get in touch with your own thoughts, comments, or guests you believe could help break the stigma. Visit us at manmukti.org 
or social media at Manmukti. I'm Chintanjani with the Manmukti Podcast, Stories of Stigma, and I'll see you next time. Thank you.